This is the one with Moomin Beans, Chekhov's Althusian Cigar, and a bit of a giveaway. It's called The Ghost Monument. Here Here we go! Perfectly in sync for the first time in aeons. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) Screw you, Zincosta. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek, Cyber, Zood, and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Hello, podcast land, and welcome to yet another incredibly fantabulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doc Pass. Dang right it is. Ooh, hark, what wonderful heavenly voices that I hear on the horizon. (laughs) Well, that does sound like Drew. Is that you, Drew? (coughs) (laughs) Yep, that would be me. (laughs) Hello, Drew, and I, of course, am Leon, and you are Podcast Land, and we are delighted to be speaking into your earballs on this evening. Uh, Sorry about belching into your earballs as well. (laughs) (laughs) Alas, it's just the two of us tonight. Uh, Marie was unfortunately feeling a little bit poorly and couldn't make it, but uh, fret not, we aim to entertain you uh, on this this marvellous soiree nonetheless. Tonight, we are discussing The Ghost Monument. It is the second ever Jodie Whittaker 13th Doctor episode. High level! Uh, How do you feel about this? Conflicted. Oh, marvellous. We love conflict on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think we'll probably end up roughly in the same ballpark. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. It's it's a conflict within myself. Oh, why? Between the first and second viewings. Oh, wait, second viewings as in, did you watch this twice for this particular review? Yes. Oh, you're way better than I am. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm way more OCD than you are. Oh, really? I watched this once and that was enough. (laughs) Quite probably. (laughs) And more prone to interrupting. (laughs) Now, I watched this first in 2018 and I remember it being absolutely terrible. And then I watched it again late at night and I thought, it's pretty good. Uh It's better than I thought. Maybe it's okay. And then I watched it again and I'm like, hmm, somewhere in the middle. Oh, oh, interesting. Mm. In the middle, you say? Right. Well, I mean, numerically, we know what that means. Uh, Yeah, I think same, same uh, ballpark. Maybe I'm making a gesture, podcast lands, yeah. that you're not privy to. He's, he's sort of dangling limply in the middle of the ballpark. I'm, I'm pointing in a particular direction. <laughs> um, right, well, before we go any further, how about we summarise this magnificent and or terrible episode in a bite-sized chunk of who? Let's. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. Having teleported herself and her new chums into the depths of space, the thirteenth Doctor must surely think the gumball rallies over and lost. As luck would have it, though, the cannonball run right into Smokey and the Bandit, the last two participants of an interstellar treasure hunt. It's a mad, 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 mad world, think Yaz, Ryan, and Graham. But this isn't the slow lane, no siree, bop. This is the speed zone. And best do whatever she says, because what is she again? Gallifreyan? Sure, sounds like an amazing race. They soon learn that at the finishing line awaits the TARDIS, so now they must battle rubbish snipers and sentient offcuts to reach it, because then, and only then, Doc will be able to bring her new companions back home. Really? 
If we get there, you can bring us back home. Yes, Yaz, that's literally exactly what I just said. Miss go over, you are welcome. Perfectly in sync. And we just... <laughs> Okie dokie, that sounds great. Where would you like to start? At the beginning. Oh, here we go. Because this is the first airing of the new intro sequel. Yes, it is. Yes. Oh, this is in my notes as well. I, I, I want to hear all of your opinions on it. I really only have a description, which oh. is to call it a dubstep subwoofer galactic brain implosion. <laughs> Spot on. Spot, yeah, that's 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 literally what was in the script, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> it's they the equivalent to the sound editing team and like, make that happen. <laughs> It does look good, right? I mean, it's a stunning effect. It has, yeah, I mean, it's an, an interesting, much darker visual than before. Personally, I'm not the biggest fan of the music, but um, it's not to any detriment. I, I feel like it makes it seem a lot darker and edgier than Doctor Who used to be. Yes, it's definitely setting out a stall. It's saying, this is the mood, this is the tone. Right. I like it as well, though, because it's rhythmically sort of opening up. It's, it's like a, uh, waves. Yeah. It's... It has that same hypnotic quality of looking at the ocean, except you are looking out into the vastness of space and time somehow. And I just find it really involving. I I never switch off during Doctor Who intro scenes, but this one I do tend to watch because it's pretty and still to this day, I think. (laughs) It's also a lot shorter than the other ones. It doesn't feature the Doctor. It doesn't feature any eyebrows. It doesn't feature the TARDIS. No. It's just the Vortex. It, it's what we later on in, I'm assuming this series, maybe the next series, we get to see this is what the Vortex actually looks like. While the TARDIS is tumbling through it. Exactly, yeah. Except it isn't not the most recent style of Vortex. Though, oh, sorry. Maybe I'm just remembering from Flux when the whole universe was being eaten and in existential crisis but i seem to remember that as being a much more expansive like magic roundabout scenario and i don't mean magic roundabout as in dougal i mean like the the five roundabouts that are one roundabout in swindon where there are (laughs) where there are an infinite number of different pathways you could be taking through this and you see holes opening up and just colors rippling everywhere like this huge tapestry this huge five-dimensional i don't know what vortex yeah why not call it a vortex that's what it is Okay, how about this? Does it match the episode? Is it as playful as the episode is? Is it uh, is the episode as dark as this intro alludes to and as the music alludes to? In a way, yes. Okay. Well, in that case, maybe it's a success. I think that it certainly matches the woman who fell to Earth. Yes, that definitely. That happened at night and it was Absolutely. and it was gritty. Yeah. And Tim Shaw was entirely ruthless. And you get a bit more of that here. You get that in Art Malik's callousness. Like... Can we come off the planet too? And he says, no. Slap, clip, snaps his fingers and they're boned. Yeah. And they're done for. And he's a billion miles away and he does not care that they will die soon, quickly. No one will ever find them. And that mood doesn't, I mean, I don't want to jump straight from the beginning straight to the end, but I mean, that mood doesn't really carry on for very long. I, no, I really want. I really want to talk about the ending with you at some point, but 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 maybe not right at the start of this podcast. But um... well, I okay. Let's skip to the middle then, because you've got Angstrom and oh oh, hang on, I've got his name somewhere. I've got his name somewhere. Wait, I've got his name. Wait, Dagnabbit, Epzo, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> <laughs> So you've got Angstrong and Expo. Yeah. Or Elmo, or whatever it is. Elmo, I like that. <laughs> Smokey. 
Yeah, yep. yeah. Oh, sorry, Smokey of <laughs> Chekhov's Althusian cigar fame. And he is describing like a dog-eat-dog universe, like his own mother sticks him up a tree and says, these Wait. are the facts of life you need to learn. You need to learn that gravity will hurt you and people will well people people are as people are as unsympathetic and unfeeling a force as gravity in this universe this is the life you must navigate yeah does that tally with everything that everyone else says i mean we don't really get to know that many other people in this segment uh, this slice of time and the universe no but angstrom it seems pretty similar angstrom Angstrom is a nicer person but her home world is is being conquered or just um destroyed like genocided yeah by, by the, the tooth fairies yes the stanza exactly so this is <laughs> this is a universe red in teeth all over your face and claw <laughs> <laughs> oh, i love it <laughs> and so i think that thematically there is a bit of carry through from the intro sequence and okay, okay it's not relentlessly grim but I seem to remember that, on the whole, it's not the cheeriest series. I'm absolutely certain that at some point I have brought up on this podcast that the Whitaker era, the Chibnall era, is is darker, is grittier, is more Netflixy, is more. It, it's just like a slap across the face, darker TV show than Doctor Who used to be under Moff. And I'm pretty sure you and Marie disagreed with me. I just want to put that out there. It's all on the record. People can find these episodes. I'm sure I said that. And I'm sure you guys did as well. Very possibly. Boom. (laughs) I say boom as though vindicated, although not at all. (laughs) I mean, who's the real loser here? People who have to go back and listen all over No, no, I'm pretty sure I am. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How does it compare to prior Doctor Who intro sequences? Do you feel the absence of any elements thereof? Do you... Does it feel sufficiently Doctor Who-y? I feel like space is overrepresented, whereas time isn't. Now, okay, in Capaldi's ah. opening sequence, you had the clock yep. and you had the spirals and all, all that sort of thing. Is that maybe even too much? I mean, maybe that was too much time at the expense of space. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, no pleasing some people. <laughs> I'm not going to insist on the perfect balance. I think it's a perfectly serviceable intro sequence. Mm. To this day, I'm not sure if it's changed. If it has, maybe they redid the colour grading a bit. I don't remember what they did for Flux, if there even was an intro sequence for Flux. but I'm pretty sure there was. Must have been. Well, regardless, I don't think that it's changed drastically during the the Chibbers era or the Whittaker era. Which one do you pick, by the way? Which one do you go for? Is it the Chibbers era or the Whittaker era for you? Because for prior Doctors, they're like, there are multiple Doctors for one showrunner and consequently it's more a Doctor era than a showrunner era. Yeah, you'd never call Smith Moffat Part 1. Exactly. That's not the Moffat era because there's so much more to the Moffat era. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think it depends which way we're bent on a particular week. Like, (laughs) do we want to say how Jodie saved this episode or do we want to... I think all of Podcast Land wants to know, do you bend more to the left or to the right? I have an opening question. Oh, please, go on. Who remembered the Timeless Child Hint starting this early? I was shocked when that came up. Yeah. Absolutely shocked. I bet you were. Oh, I couldn't believe my eyes and ears. The planning that went into this. I know. So much jam and red string, except in this case... Uh, I'd like my jam and red string back, thanks, because th- it's no secret. I've made this so abundantly clear on this podcast. I don't like that subplot. I don't like the direction in, in which Doctor Who veered for that. So you, this is poison jam and barbed wire string. <laughs> yes, yes, Dagnabbit. 
And it almost hurt me that already at this point, when I remember being quite excited about, oh, there's a new Doctor, oh, there's a new showrunner, blah, blah, yada, 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 yada. Even at this stage, there was some malevolent <laughs> force oh, no. lingering in the background going, yeah, you know what? You enjoy your timeline? Well, I'm going to shit all over it. <laughs> but we didn't know that at this point. What we thought was that we had seen Capaldi as a child in a barn, hadn't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think maybe we thought, oh, we're going to get some of the Doctor as we have grown to know their established backstory in childhood. We're going to see some more of that. Maybe. The only thing that we hear in this one is just a reference to the Doctor as the timeless child. Is that is, Or is there something else? I've made some notes. It said, We see deeper though, further back, the timeless child alone. She doesn't know, hidden even from herself, outcast, abandoned and unknown. And I just thought that she was an unpopular kid and, oh, I see, there are going to be some episodes <laughs> about bullying in this series. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? I would have taken it. I was. I am almost certain that that's what I thought back in 2018. That's where it must go from here. But no, it just it just lay low under the surface, yeah. waiting for night to fall. Like as you say, a malevolent scrap of script writing paper that will wrap itself around the face of the <laughs> franchise and choke the oxygen from it. I mean, the stuff that usually gets left on the cutting room floor gains sentience in <laughs> Chiba's era <laughs> and chokes us with it. The, the- as you know, as you know, I will say at this point, I have much more time, ironically, for the timeless child than you ever did or do or sure. will. And no, I look forward to potentially, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I look forward to potentially revising my opinion of it. Okay, good. I look forward to that potentiality being realized or not as well. And <laughs> what I, probably not. And what I want to say <laughs> is that you can't say year of the gas leak anymore. It has to be era of the gas leak. Yeah, it has you're to right. be showrunner because he had this set up from before the first camera started rolling. Yeah, that's true. And that's it, absolutely true. And he and Jody, I think, have both talked about how they had a five-year plan going in, or a or a three-series plan. I don't think Jody has anything to do with that uh, as such. I'm assuming. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to hijack the the mic there, but I think that this must be part of his pitch to the BBC that lands him the role of showrunner. Yeah. Like I think this is him sitting. Like, he hasn't even cast a doctor yet. He sits down with execs at the BBC. Goes, listen, I've got a plan. It's crazy bananas. You thought Bad Wolf was, you know, a lot of jam and string? Holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes, just wait till you get a load of this. And then he lays this on the table. Yeah, I'm going to mummify a whole doctor with this. <laughs> yeah. Which is appropriate, because she's a woman now. <laughs> and-, <laughs> and they're like, don't be so literal, Chibs. And the other guy leans over and he says, the only alternative we have is Jamie Matheson's series which is all about paedophiles in a boarding school. Which which sounded great. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, who let Leon in here? Get out of here. You, you're looking for an edgy show. Maybe, I'm just saying. <laughs> My point is, I'm not trying to take anything away from Judy Whittaker, but I'm assuming that this is part of the, the pitch when selling yourself to the BBC. Oh yeah, I'm not saying this originated with Jodie Whittaker or that she helped author the plan. I'm just saying that I think she knew where this was going from the very start of Undoubtedly. her involvement. Undoubtedly, yeah. 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 No, you're right about that, I think. To counteract the whole thing about from the get-go, from part two in this era, I'm already averse to certain developments. Ask me how I feel about the 13th Doctor. Okay, Leon, how do you feel about the 13th great. Doctor? Great. She's great. Yeah, with a few exceptions that are absolutely stunningly terrible. (laughs) 
I agree. She inhabits this role, like, in a way that she didn't even in her first episode, and she already did a great job in her first episode. Do continue. I'll give you a, uh, an example. In fact, this is straight off the bat, in the, maybe not the first scene, but in the beginning when she is in, what's his name, Expo, es- Eslo, whatever, <laughs> Expo's- Slow-mo. Slow- when she is in slow-mo's spaceship- and she's like, oh, holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes, this spaceship is uh, crazy old, we're going to have to jettison the tail end and yada, yada, yada. She is so incredibly doctor-like in that. Yeah. And it's a, a tiny little, I don't even know if it's five minutes, it might be less than five minutes, but it's it's a sequence in which she inhabits almost every single dot on the, the gamut of doctorness. She is hilarious, she is dramatic, she is tragically dismayed by her circumstances. She is clever, she is righteous, she is gung-ho. Absolutely, yes. She dismisses her companion and lords her companion. She thinks her <laughs> her companion is an absolute idiot, puts her on a pedestal and gives her tremendous responsibility. Here, pump this thing. I, I don't know what it does, but it's vital to our survival. She is great. She's the perfect 13th Doctor in that scene. It's in my notes. The first five minutes of this are excellent. Yeah. Doctor-wise, sci-fi-wise, television-wise, spectacle-wise. There's some fantastic humour in that. It's like, yeah. oh, this spaceship should be on Antiques Roadshow. The, the, the <laughs> had me in stitches. The sheer responsibility that she is prepared to take in that scene makes me buy into her as the 13th Doctor uh, from zero to 100 in no time at all. Oh, absolutely. The absolute peak of that for me is when the guy says, oh, do you think you can do any better? And she's like, yeah, Yeah. I can. And she straps (laughs) herself in and she just gets to it and she starts Mm. bossing it. It's amazing. Absolutely. I'm glad that we said that up front because there are a few things, a few parts of this episode that I really also want us to talk about in which she is perhaps not as well written as the Doctor or doesn't necessarily execute the, at times, really good writing of this episode. Mm -hmm. Convincingly. Also, there's times where she doesn't live up to the writing. That's right. I didn't think I think so. say that. There is one scene in which we get one of those incredibly classic, stereotypical, oh, the Doctor's met people from mankind's history. Culture, uh, recent past or even more distant past. Yeah. In this case, these glasses either belong to Audrey Hepburn or Pythagoras. Mm-hmm. That's a fun gag. And it's, it's also fun because they're clearly incredibly feminine glasses. And... Probably during Pythagoras' time, they didn't have the facilities to mass-produce glasses of that kind. No, but he thought, wow, these are a marvellous invention, and he didn't have any frame of reference. There were no gendered expectations around sunglasses in 450 BC or whatever it was, and it's like, yeah. And the ancient Greeks made him almost as famous for that as for his theorem. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so it's not the writing. The writing is is great. That's mm-hmm. a that's a nice bit of script. I wrote that script out almost word for word because oh, I wanted to bring up how funny it was. Amazing. Because I remember saying at the beginning of Flux, oh, Chibnall's found his funny bone. And I feel like a heel for saying that because clearly Ooh. he's been writing jokes all along. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, great intentions. Best intentions. But I really feel like she didn't stick the landing. I feel like the delivery is so incredibly poor in that particular scene. Oh. Yeah, I'm really sorry. This is nine minutes and 18 seconds in. If anyone can be bothered to... You know what? Maybe I'll be bothered and I'll pop a soundbite in here. Want to borrow my shades? Oh, so. Like an old pair of mine. I say mine. 
can't remember who I borrowed them off now. It was either Audrey Hepburn or Pythagoras. Matt Smith is the guy who immediately springs to mind of having met Marilyn Monroe and done this and that and married every single person throughout history and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> of course, yeah. You know, I don't feel that she conveys that as convincingly in that scene. Okay, what isn't she conveying? Is, is she not conveying the, the excitement and the pride and the sheer joy of having messed so thoroughly with her? It's history? just bad comedic timing. Oh. It, that's it, that's why I feel like it's a mistake. It's like the have you seen the it's Indiana Jones is it Indiana Jones four whatever the the shit the one Kingdom of the Crystal Skull Bingo. Have you seen the <laughs> I can't remember what the line is that he says. There's a line in the trailer that is a different take. Like it's so obviously a different take to the line as it appears in the film. You're a teacher part time, right? And as it appears in the film, it's like part time. Oh. What the fuck? Why did you why did you keep that take? You clearly had a better take. It's in the trailer. I've seen it. It's great. Bing bong. Actually, I've unintentionally just plagiarized a point from the Red Letter Media review of Indie 4. In fact, that's where I ended up getting these sound bites. Uh, apologies for that. And I hope you don't mind, Red Letter Media. Uh, everyone watch that review. It's hilarious, Lloyd. In fact, watch all of their stuff. Also, I'm not sure I agree with my past self now. Uh, bing bong. <laughs> that's what this felt like to me. Maybe it's just that she's wearing a lot of clothes as this doctor. And suddenly she's like, well, they're shooting in South Africa. That's true. And it must be boiling hot. And maybe she just didn't quite have the energy to bring to the line because they're trudging up a hill as they're saying it. I will have included all of these audio clips in in this little segment, including the Indiana Jones one, because now I really want to find out whether <laughs> I, I, I can't remember what the line was. But yeah, anyway, the, that was that was an example of, I feel, good writing, bad delivery. Okay. I have other introductory questions if you want to take this in a different direction. Let's do that. This whole Amazing Race thing. Yeah. Does anyone actually watch it? Like, is it broadcast on telly? Now, that is crucial to the end. Yeah, because, to the whole thing. Well, yeah, because I understand that these things used to be staged before they would be globally broadcast. Yeah. And people just did it for the fun of it and the thrill and the adventure and the pioneering spirit. Yeah. Obviously, now in our thoroughly media hypersaturated society we're like well why aren't they televising absolutely everything why aren't we on video right now and people are like why don't you put it on youtube and we're like are you serious well i'm like <laughs> and you're like what a great idea and you just need five more people to ask me that <laughs> but if it's not on telly then yeah it seems like a great way to launder some money like for criminals <laughs> I hadn't considered that. Where is the oversight? Elaborate. There are (laughs) 3.2 trillion, oh, one currency, and there are even more if you measure it in Kevlar, Kevlar or Kevlons, and oh, yeah, yeah, in old money. And I thought that scene for a a gag about numbers and how some numbers are bigger than others that was that was decent. Yeah, it was a solid bit of writing. Could have fallen really flat and didn't. No, not at all. Well done. Yeah. But yeah, if it's just Art Malik alone, not in a tent, just, I don't know, in his rec room or something, in his summer house, in his shed. Then- That's how it is. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm cutting in there. Like, uh, Art Malik, he's clearly, he's like an amateur podcaster yeah. <laughs> during the pandemic era. He's in his shed office <laughs> in front of a green screen. <laughs> <laughs> with a 1080p camera in front of him and that's how this whole thing is recorded yeah and somehow he gets people to spend their lives farting around across 12 galaxies for, well, he- for an enormous sum of money i mean you'd think that some of these entrants would be like okay i know now i know where the money is i'm going to trace this signal and just take him out 
and everyone else can go run run amongst themselves. So he won the game at some in in a prior iteration of this game. Yes, a right. previous less lucrative rally. How is it? Le- okay, so he invested his money very well, or whatever. In the meantime, or maybe as you suggest, there are vast media rights that have been sold for enormous contracts. Yeah, I mean that is a possibility. That seems the most likely thing, but they can't go down that route in this episode because if they do then Jodie Whittaker has someone else to appeal to and they can't be stranded on the planet as absolutely as they are. I think it's really interesting to consider that there is an audience potentially in the background that we never get to see because in a perhaps more stereotypical version of this episode, we are constantly cutting to people congregating in piazzas looking at gigantic <laughs> screens of what's going to happen, who's going to survive. You know, like it, it's the people it, it's the people in the Hunger Games who are watching Katniss Everdeen and what, whomever else perform, you know, play the game. I'll raise you one better. Oh, here we go. This is the crowd, the congregation, in the now starless Akartan system. They put a great big screen up there, and this is their new god. Oh. Television! Guess what that's the sound of. Well done, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, I can't talk that. Oh, uh, paradoxically. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, how did you feel about, uh, what was his name again? Ilin? Ilin. Ilin. Yeah. It's a strange character. I mean, he is the puppet master, um, but he has no interest in who we have an interest in. So it's this weird intersection. And again, it, it speaks to this giant loveless universe with its own self-involved agendas and nothing really binding it together. Um, apart from the forces of family, of course. I get that people can be this remote and this uncaring, but it doesn't make for much fun. I think we're missing context in this episode. Right. Just like we're missing an audience to this spectacle in order to justify that there is a spectacle in the first place, we're missing context for this Art Malik chap because he's like, hey, I won this game before. I know exactly what you're going through. Yeah, so what the shit are you doing it now? Like... (laughs) Surely there must be a better way forward, buddy. Like <laughs> You're just putting more people through the same horrible emotional turmoil that you had to suffer through at some point. Um, oh, well, that's what people do. Yeah, but what are you going through? Who else is in the room? Who's standing behind the 1080p camera? You know, what, what else is happening in his world? What kind of world is he in? I feel like we're missing some context. What yeah. is he doing? If you were going to really bad wolf it, then the Stenza would be. Oh, interesting, Making yeah. him do that. And making all this rally lead to this world that they've completely obliterated. Yeah, and I mean, how like, does he have access to this planet? Well, yeah. Right? Why have the uh, weapons of death been left behind in this way? I, I, I mean, obviously he's massively rich. Yeah. So does so care about that? No, not at all. Has he got teeth in his face? That's all they care about. There's... <laughs> Do you think there's enough material here to have this be the first part of a two or three act arc in which Art Malik will return later on as a a Stenza stooge? I mean, that's where my brain is reaching, but at the same time, I don't want to write that. (laughs) (laughs) Also understandable, but... (laughs) Art Malik, by the way, we've encountered him before on Who Back When? I was... 
going to ask, do you remember him from a previous appearance that you reviewed? Uh, yes, uh, in an audiobook, The Skull of Sobek, uh, Sobek sorry, uh, a somewhat uh, middle-of-the-road Eighth Doctor Adventure audiobook, as I recall. Given that this was, I think, one of our earlier reviews, potentially one in which we were unnecessarily, unfairly harsh, but uh, yeah. That's a very nice way of saying that you and JD both gave it one point something. Oh, did we? Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. So less than middle-of-the-road, then. <laughs> Yeah, all I remember is it's like a crocodile people worshipping a crocodile skull uh, somewhere. Oh, right. And as he plays Abbot Absolute, he's part of this um, religion enabling the worship of the crocodile Presumably. I I honestly don't remember anything else about this audiobook. But that's that's how memorable it was, potentially. Or how unsober I was at the time. Also perfectly possible. Aunt Malik, funnily, I saw him quite recently. There's a there's a circular trivia to this, yes. or circular connection. Yes, yes. I've been re-watching Sherlock. Oh, right. And he turns up at the very last episode of Sherlock. As the prison governor. That's right, yeah. You will have seen him somewhere else. Oh, uh, True Lies? Yes. But Living thinking- Daylights? Yes, but I'm thinking more wait. specific to you and your interests. Oh, uh, wait, hang on. Is this like an adult feature? No. Well, he was also <laughs> in Sex and the City 2. Oh. Oh, Sex and the City 2. Which it, you've seen. Yeah, which everyone who enjoys Sex and the City abhors. Yeah. Sex okay. and the City 2 is terrible. But in the very same year. Even was, though, quite frankly, I'm sorry, but I do kind of enjoy the line, Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> In the very same year, he appeared in an episode of Poirot. <gasps> oh, no, wait. Uh, which one? Do you have it there? I know that he played Sir Bartholomew Strange. That's literally every episode of Poirot. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't know. Agatha Christie, Dame Agatha Christie had a typewriter with, with one key that was literally Sir Bartholomew Strange. <laughs> <laughs> It was three-act tragedy, Mm. which is weird. Suddenly you want to put Art Malik into a second and a third act. I think this is gnawing away at your unconscious. Potentially, yeah. Interesting. Um, I was thinking about, I was thinking, I don't remember him and that, but I was thinking about that one in particular earlier today, because earlier today, over my lunch break, I in fact watched the second half of a documentary called Being Poirot. Uh, on YouTube. The the whole thing is on YouTube. Hey, 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 Podcast Land, if you enjoy watching David Suchet, really enjoy (laughs) being David Suchet. Sir David Suchet. Sir David, sorry. (laughs) Sir David really enjoys being Sir David, and he really enjoys having played Poirot. Understandably so, for about 25 years. I get it. I absolutely get it. Watch being Poirot. Mm. It's fantastic. Anywho... Companions. Shall we talk companions? Let's do that. Right. We've got three companions. Yep. Is that enough, too many, or just the right amount? Well, certainly no exposition goes left unclaimed. (laughs) (laughs) Elaborate, please. Well, I mean that when someone says what they're going to do, then someone is always on hand to repeat it back to them just so they can be certain that they understand what the plan is who does the repeating do you what do you say Uh, i would say it's yaz that does a fair bit of the repeating so yeah um let's put a pin in that and let's get back to that in i'm gonna say 30 seconds after we've covered ryan and graham because i (laughs) desperately want to tell you something about yaz well about graham he handles a different kind of exposition which is how have they got to this place? And yes. where are they? Yeah. It's all, Ryan, we're on an alien planet. My goodness, 
that's not the same as Earth because an alien planet is somewhere else. And I, seem to, I find Graham to be the only well-written character in this entire episode. Let me follow up. Let's hear it. When Art Malik Illin's tent disappears <laughs> for the first time and they're all like, Sh- shouldn't we catch them up? And the doctor's like, yeah, we probably should. They're like, no. <laughs> Graham needs a state of the union where he says, well... <laughs> What's happened, right, is we come off Earth and we landed on this alien planet and then we talked to this alien chap and these two people, they picked us up and everything and I got these sunglasses on and Ryan still won't call me granddad. And what do you think about that, Doc? That's solid entertainment. I I would watch that half of every episode. (laughs) Maybe a third because also now the TARDIS is back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we get to see it tumbling through the vortex for 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, Yeah, I, I I feel like Graham is, he is entertaining and he sets up other people. Like he's, as, sorry, he sets up other companions. He and wakes again. up other companions. Twice. <laughs> why, why do we need to get to see the Ryan POV of Graham going, all right, son, all right, son, are you what? Are you, are you there, son? Yeah. You yeah. know what he's been doing? The whole time Ryan's been asleep, he's been whispering, all right, son. All right, son. For four, five, or six hours, he thinks it's like learning on audio tape. Like the power of suggestion, Ryan's going to wake up and immediately, like, be be NLP'd into calling him granddad. No, he's going to wake. He's going to be NLP'd and wake up and immediately call him dad because he's been called son <laughs> the entire time he's been asleep. <laughs> Ryan, meanwhile, uh-huh. is possibly the biggest waste. I despise Ryan in this episode. Oh my goodness. You think he could have been asleep a little longer and we'd have lost nothing? He shouldn't have woken up. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Ryan is, when he is up and, I don't want to say up and running, because when he is up and running, he is doing terrible things. But when he's up and just around, he is underwritten, underdeveloped, and sort of hard done by he doesn't he doesn't get to contribute anything of his own i'm gonna i'm gonna first disagree with you okay then develop your point all right let's hear it at the very beginning i was really impressed that they gave ryan the reaction of shock and horror in the spaceship like graham has just woken up and he's trying to keep ryan a bit calm first of all ryan face plants yeah which okay that's immediate action um, and th- but then he's 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 distressed. He he emotes at a level that we didn't see in the whole first episode when his grand died, when he was at a funeral, any of that. I actually what I was crying out for last week, I was getting from him when he's like just terrified on this spaceship, like what is going? I couldn't process it. And Graham is like, all right, all right, all right, yeah, all right. I don't know. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. That's a solid bit of acting and a solid bit of writing for Ryan. But then he gets to wake up twice, just like Graham gets to wake him up twice. He gets to wake up twice. And when you get to see it a second time and it tries to hit the same emotional notes, it kind of undoes the first attempt. Uh, We get him confronting ladders, not once, but twice. And when he does it a second time, it kind of undoes the first attempt. It's like, well, yeah, we get it. But if you're not going to take it a step further, no pun intended, then why... Why are we seeing you do this? You know, you're not you're not developing on screen. You're just confronting something and done. Stopping as though that's enough. But we need to see you actually experience the emotional turmoil of it, not just go. Well, that's hard. Right next, who 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 else has something to say? Those two ladder scenes, they got entirely the wrong way around. Yes, yes, the first one is where the doctor needs to say, Ryan, I can give you so much time, but we got a few minutes, and then they're going to wake up. 
And so the, that's where the pep talk comes in. Yeah. And he scoots down. And then the second time, when there's way more peril, they can't stand there just chatting and her doing the softly, softly. Uh, well, uh, maybe think about acetylene facts. It just It just killed the episode dead. There are guards beating their, you know, arc welding their way through the door that the doc has just locked with her sonic really flimsily. Yeah. They're going to be on them any moment. The air's running out. And she's like, okay, just take as long as you need. Oh. Really? Yeah, and then is it the second time we also, we have Yaz telling him, like, I think you're doing so well. (laughs) (laughs) I think that might be the first one. Oh, the first one. Sorry about that. But But that's what she should have said in the second one, like. Yes, yes. Ryan should be like, okay, the doctor told me I can do it, so I'm just going to do it. And then that's when Yaz sees him shimmying up despite his misgivings and like you're doing so well Ryan but this is something I'm, I'm sure this is something that we discussed the first time around maybe this is something that Marie brought up in our review of the woman who fell to earth but the fact that we get him climbing a ladder that we have that ladder scene in his first appearance on screen like mm-hmm. his first episode on screen and there's like okay no problem you're doing a pretty good job <laughs> why the second and third time that we see him climbing ladders is it suddenly a problem like we've established that he's capable of of doing something it's like if we now have him appear on some sort of weird space boat and he goes well oh the engine's broken there's no point in me looking at the engine because i don't think that there's any way of fixing it it's like no we saw you the first time you did it you fixed it if you can't fix it the second time if it's a challenge of any sort the second time around then i'm not buying it it's a slightly different issue because dyspraxia isn't something you can cure necessarily I'm not saying that you can cure. No, 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 no that's no, not no. what I'm saying. But but what I mean is every time he bumps into a ladder, he's going to have to concentrate and he's going to have to make a real effort and it's going to stretch him and test him. Sure. But yeah, that he just turns up and reacts in the same way. It's, it's as you say, there, there should be a progression. And the fact, I mean, this is just a slight sidestep, but the fact that he picks up the gun and I've just said that you can't really train away dyspraxia necessarily. I mean, that's why he's falling over on the bike, ad nauseum, ad infinitum up on the hill. And he says, Call of Duty, train for this. And he goes, and he's a better sniper than any of the robot guards and sniper The robot snipers are the worst snipers in the history of sniping. But Mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah, and oh, oh my goodness. That scene is the worst scene of this entire episode, I think. Oh yes, the way he runs back saying, where's the reload? Where's the reload? It's, I mean, I don't think Ryan ever does anything like that again. I would hope not. And I'm assuming he received, like, there were countless notes from from the BBC just going, like, it killed the mood. It was incongruous with the entire rest of the the episodes. The episode is a fairly serious episode, but then there's this moment of odd levity where he actually faces potential death at the hand of murder robots. But all he has to do is squeak and run away like in a cartoon, and he's okay. (laughs) Also, Doc is like, we don't use guns he uses a gun doc forgives him immediately doesn't even really address it just goes like that's why we don't use guns well wait no no no, no. he just used guns <laughs> there's there's a moment there's space for a lesson here maybe you could teach him a bit of of ethics and and morality well she does say you got to outthink it but it doesn't really touch on ethics and morality it's no pragmatism yeah <laughs> exactly also i would raise issue with he goes herring out with the gun he comes back in and they're all standing in the exact same position nobody has 
has run to the the door to see how Ryan's doing as he runs through the murder field. Yeah. Like how just how quickly does he get killed? Nobody cares. They're just like, okay, Ryan, you do you, and we'll see you in a minute or not. Do you think that this is a case of the Chibbers era Doctor Who hasn't quite figured out the tone yet, and they're maybe dipping a toe in the you know the lake of slapstick because that is what that episode is, that that scene is. Yeah, it's an element of farce. Yeah. I think that they are trying to hit different beats and going about it very amateurishly. Mm. And I think that a number of ways in which the characters are handled and treated in this episode are amateurish. They don't hang together particularly well. Now, sometimes you have characters doing diverse things and they do cohere and they make sense as sort of satellite parts of a grounded, unified person. But here it's just like, let's throw scenes at these people and the audience, because because they have the same face, will do the job for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we have one more companion left that we haven't discussed yet, and I do believe there was a pin in there somewhere. Yeah, you better pull that pin out. <laughs> okay, are you getting ready to run? Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lob a grenade into the middle of this review, why don't you? How do you feel about Yaz? I didn't mind her that much. Really? I do understand that once you really focus on what function she's being asked to perform and concentrate on her as she appears in the episode rather than just sort of accepting her chipping in now and again. It's like, oh, actually, why are you here? Yeah. In the moment, in the first view that I had, as I say, a few days ago, I thought they all sort of made a kind of sense. Like, they were used all to a similar amount or degree. Really? Oh, I suppose she's not bad when they're on the spaceship in the beginning. She actually has some agency, she's doing some stuff, but she's still, like, all of her actual verbal... I'm sorry to cut you off, but, like, all of her verbal output is just there to either tee up the Doctor to progress the plot or repeat what the Doctor said for the Doctor to then go, yes, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I just said. Not just the Doctor, but also... Everyone. Also, Bozo is telling his story about, oh, my mum, she's the right piece of work. I know. And Yaz said, <laughs> sorry, did, was, did you say your mum did that? So let me address this pin. Um... <laughs> <laughs> When I, I, I only rewatched this episode once, as in I watched it back when it aired and I watched it once in preparation for this episode a couple of nights ago and or a couple of days ago. And um, when I was done, I went to the transcript and I did a nice little command F for Yasmin because I wanted to know what the shit does she do? What does she say in this episode? I really want to know. She doesn't say that much. I'm going to read all of it. The Sorry. entirety of Yaz in this episode from beginning to end. With, with uh, I think, two exceptions. One is the, the emotional bit at the start, which I like, and the emotional bit at the end, which I think is a little bit too schmaltzy. The whole, like, oh, don't, don't you worry, Doctor. We got you. Don't give up. We can do this together. Here's everything else. The intervening 42 minutes. Yeah. This can be divided into two categories. One is obvious observations and repetitions. The other one is inane questions. So, obvious observations and repetitions. I'm on a spaceship. The second one, in response to Graham saying, we thought you were dead. We thought you were dead. This doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound good. That's some smell. I've got a couple of questions. Really, Yaz? Great. Let me jump into the second category of inane questions. (laughs) 
We're about to die. Where's Ryan and Graham? Subject verb in disagreement. What's actually happening? What? Are we going to die? Miss what? Since what? Sorry, did you say your mum did this to you? So you left your family to do this? You know we're completely surrounded. What exactly <laughs> did you just do? Ryan, have you seen this? Surveillance footage. Why have we stopped? What's up there? Definitely. If we get there, you can get us off this planet alive. Uh. You're Albarian, he said. Can you hear that noise? And, last but not least, in brackets, again, you can get us there. Really? That's, that's what she does, minus the beginning and the end. That's, that's her entire contribution throughout this entire episode. It's just asking people to repeat what they just did. Yeah. Or teeing up their backstories and or monologues. Or just like standing in front of a wall and going, hey, is that a wall? Or do you guys see this wall? Or have you guys heard of walls? Or <laughs> what's flat and perpendicular to the ground? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> she is so woefully underwritten in this episode. And it's such a shame because in the first episode that she appears in, in The Woman Who Fell to Earth, she shows, we talked about this ad nauseum in the last review, but she shows such potential yep. and almost all of it is squandered in this one, in my opinion. Yeah. And we don't need to do this every week, but we are now aware that Yaz and the Doctor will be ham-fistedly forced together. Yeah. And Leon has just, I mean, okay, we need to treat the episode at the end to also underline this yeah but there is no even beginning of a connection here and there won't be no a series at a time i don't think so no i i am kind of pleased that we know that that's coming though because it does give us an opportunity it affords us the the opportunity to add a different reading to every episode like is there any kind of tension is there any hint of any romance and even if there isn't is there something that we're not aware of happening behind the scenes you know, like if if this is her emotional life outside of frame, what must she be thinking in this particular scene? I, I'm I'm thoroughly looking forward to that. And I, I think yeah. this is probably too early in her run. Oh, definitely. To, yeah. No, it would be ham-fisted in a different way if it started right now. Yeah, certainly, yeah. So, yeah. I want to bring up one of those inane questions. Oh, let's hear it. Which is Yaz asks, oh, what's her name? What's her name? Angstrom. Angstrom, thank you. I knew it. the bandit she asks angstrom what her species is and angstrom starts to tell her about the tragedy of her planet that's right and halfway through she cuts herself short when it gets to the difficult part the the really heartbreaking part and says i don't know you no actually no wait she she's from northern ireland Uh, i don't know you something like that Wait, um, is she from Northern Ireland? Yeah. I'm so bad at accents. <laughs> and she may as well just have said, it'll make more dramatic sense if I say this on the boat in a few minutes. Because... Oh yeah, now I can hear it. <laughs> because then the doctor is doing the exact same thing, just asking her a few questions. And she volunteers the whole story to yeah. everyone there, yeah. including Yaz. And Yaz gets to give a prompt. And nothing has changed. They've been on a boat for a few minutes, slowing down the episode. That's the only thing that has occurred in between, I can't tell you this, it's too difficult, and please everyone gather around, I've got a story. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I mean. That's another way in which this episode just doesn't cohere, character-wise. No, that's true. Yeah, people are, are random different instantiations of a template from one scene to the next. I think the other guy, Expo, is similarly a good example of that, where he basically has one configuration of social interaction, and that is 
he will be very negative about stuff. Angstrom will jump in and say, don't worry about him. He's always like this. Mm -hmm. And then he will say something that is entirely out of context and way too dark or way too tragic (laughs) or like way too intimate for something that you share with people you've just met. And then the rest of the world goes, you don't need to be like that. But that's how he is. And that's not necessarily how you help someone get over something. And that's not necessarily how anyone deals with anything in their lives. Like if you are Expo or whatever his name is, Enzo, like when when he says, (laughs) yeah, my mom made me climb up a tree and then I jumped down into her arms and then she walked out of the way. It's like, blah, blah, blah. It's like the rest of the room should have gone. Why are you in this race? Do you have anyone around whom you care about? Can you tell me this? Why is he in this race? Is it just so he gets money? It's out of gratitude for his horrible mum. That's... You know, set her up for life for being the most horrible parent she could possibly have. Wait, been. do we know that she's still around? No. Exactly, we don't. <laughs> of course not. We have absolutely no idea. And what is he? Oh, okay, I don't know. He's, what is he? He's mixtorian or something like that. So like, yeah. he's, we don't know how long people live. We don't know how long he, how old he is, yada, yada, yada. He looks like he's in his uh, mid to late 40s to me. No offense, Enzo. The, the, it, no offense, Sean Dooley. <laughs> in in general, I don't understand a single thing about him. All I know is that he has some sort of pervasive subconscious uh, desire to share, to overshare intimate details of tragedy. Yeah. Well, it's... And I don't buy it. That's not how anyone works. It's just a different tone of the info dumping you talked about last week. Oh, and Grace from the back of the car saying, oh, and this is Ryan and he's our grandson and we take him up on the moors and all that sort of thing. And that's, (laughs) that's all he's doing except... He was a small child when the the events he relates were were happening. The thing I took exception to in that scene was the doctor at the end says, your mum was wrong. We're stronger together. And that's it. And it's like, oh, okay. That's the moral to take away from this scene. Yeah. He's the anti-fam sort of person. And we're, you know, all pro-fam here. But he could very easily have turned around and said, without my mother, I wouldn't be here. 4,000 people started this rally, but two, and I got to the end. How would you think that was? Because my mom trained me up for this universe. And they would have been like, oh shit, that's a really good point. You know what? Now you've just contextualized that entire anecdote about climbing up a tree that I didn't care about in in the episode, but that now all of a sudden makes perfect sense and is of some value. Why was that not part of this episode? That's that's an excellent bit of retro (laughs) rewrite. Well, it's because it complicates the we're a fam coalescing and the more that we become of one family nature, the the better we'll be once we finally find the target. I feel like there are two different ways in which you can go. Either there is the, no, you don't understand. This is why I'm playing this game. My name's uh, uh, Elrond and I'm in this because my mum was really mean to me that one time. <laughs> we we didn't get get that in the episode at all. The other way, which we also didn't get, is at some point they're up on a hill and he's like, "Fuck, I'm gonna die." There are all these offcuts after me, or shit snipers are, are firing at me, and we get Angstrom at the bottom saying, "Jump, I will catch you." Oh, and he has to jump, and <laughs> this time she does catch him and he's like you know what my upbringing was wrong i was raised to survive a really rough world like basically to raised to expect the worst expect the full absence of friends but here is someone here is a friend in the last place i ever expected to find one and that's what then teased them up to go to the finishing line together yes and to cross the finishing line holding hands as a dead heat in 
full concert. Exactly. Because otherwise, in this entire situation, there are there are two things I think also. Like one thing that either one of these bodies could have done that they never did that they should have done based on how they were introduced to us. A, uh, at some point, Angstrom should have snapped her fingers just to get the cigar to light up in his pocket. <laughs> And the second thing is, they hold hands, like, he takes her left hand in his right hand, they walk towards the tent, and in his left hand, he's clutching a gun, and before they enter, he blasts her in the head, and then he walks in on his own and goes, I won. He can't do the second, (laughs) he can't do the second because Art Malik makes such a show of no sabotage, no injuries. That's true, that's true, that's true. But maybe he accidentally trips her, and she stumbles into the flesh-eating virus water. (laughs) You know, like, yeah! Like, while he's flapping at himself, trying to put his Althusian cigar out as it's burning through his jacket, he loses his footing. Exactly. And a whole chain of events begins, which he could possibly never have foreseen. The only thing we know about this guy is that he's been brought up not to trust anyone. So why does he trust this person? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I really like my, hey, jump, I'll catch you scene. Yeah, there you go. In your face, chibbers. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a bit tropey, but... But it, you've had like three retro rewrites so far in this podcast alone. <laughs> yeah, and there's more coming. <laughs> I don't want to cut you off, but the, you did bring up the whole um, Angstrom scene where she goes, hey, I'm the victim of, you know, I narrowly escaped ethnic cleansing. That's the word I've been looking for the whole time, the, the phrase. Oh, right, yeah. The term, yes, ethnic cleansing. She says this to Yaz, and Yaz's response is, I know exactly how you feel. My sis constantly wants me to move out so she can get my room. <laughs> yeah. Nice one, Yaz. You really got it. Yeah. Read the room. <laughs> and my dad, he drives me mental. <laughs> I should, at this point, add, I also omitted the reference to her sister wanting her bedroom from my list of Yasmin lines. I mean, I think, I think you may be misrepresenting it ever so slightly because the whole scene is driving at you've got to treasure your family while you can. Yeah. Rather than <laughs> our experiences are directly comparable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not write Yaz just a little more? Maybe a teeny tiny bit. Just spend a bit of time on her. Or if you have to cut something out of this episode, it's very possible that she was more deeply, profoundly described in the original script. But if something has to end up on the cutting room floor, maybe don't make it Yaz. Because it seems as though if there was something to her, it's no longer there. Like you omitted all of it. Cut the fucking scene with the horrible sentient rags. The shit is that about? Now my swears are coming out. <laughs> what is that about? I, I, I don't want to derail you. You had something else to say about the companions, I oh, believe. No, no, um... uh, right. Where would you like to take this next? I'd like to talk about the cruel planet itself. Ooh. Yeah. Because I, I liked, I got a little bit of a tingle Ooh. when Art Malik, acting royalty, yeah. said this planet has been made cruel. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice line. Mm, it's been yeah. made cruel. Mm. Mm. All sorts of possibilities. Was it cruel enough? Was it? Uh, did well, you enjoy no. all the cruelty of it? No. Oh, no. not nearly cruel enough. <laughs> because the doc is down in the lab reading out the scientists slash dwarfs last message that ends in <laughs> they're coming. Why? Oh, I hate that scene. Mm. Why can she read floor pictures? <laughs> I mean, why not? She's been about a bit. She's never been on this planet before. She doesn't know where they're from. She has absolutely no idea. She has a universal translator that can... Or, no, sorry, sorry. She only has the TARDIS translation matrix still residing in her, I assume. 
She looks at what is just a freaking flower on the floor. And she yeah. has a whole verbose history of, of uh, these scientists. Well, that's the annoying thing, is that there is nothing on the floor. There aren't pictograms, nope. hieroglyphs. Nope. There need to be rows and rows of text yeah. to deliver that monologue. To clarify, the same people who drew a flower on the floor are the people who programmed computers, who worked in labs, oh, who developed very incredibly elaborate high-tech weaponry for the Stenza. Yeah. This is like <laughs> one scene after we see the holographic display that they created. Yeah. Well, it's actually quite of a piece with how with my problem oh, yeah? with this your problem is entirely valid my problem was that part of this enormous speech was killing machines and creatures inhabit every corner of this planet oh yeah and we've got flesh-eating microbes yep it's pretty bad yep uh bits of paper yep and the <laughs> robot guards who are terrible who are terrible who, who, they are sniper bots and they can't hit anything <laughs> No, and that's it. They talked about being forced to develop poisons, weapons, creatures. I suppose I suppose there are creatures holding weapons and in the water there is a kind of poison, maybe? Yeah, but I think so. Why are they rags? Why are they rags? I'll tell you why. All right, here we go. I'm all ears. Because on the planet of desolation, people are constantly picking up knocks and injuries. And they're like, oh, oh, good, a bit of rag. That'll see me through. And they wrap it around their leg. And then <laughs> the sun goes down and your bandage starts going. Nom, 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 nom. Yeah, that makes no sense. So, so the... <laughs> Is it that they have transferred their sentience into these weird hovering rags? Or were they rags all along? Oh, that's not explained. Don't ask me to explain that. They're not the scientists. I'd wager that. They're not the scientists. Oh, I thought they were the scientists. I thought they had transferred their consciousness into bits of fabric. Well, then why are they being such dicks? Why can they speak and think? (laughs) They're bits of shitty fabric. Oh. This is, you know what, this is, this is Chibas trying to do a Moff. You remember how every time Moff had a new episode where he was like, you know what, I'm going to make my audience fear the thing that they see every day. Yeah. Like, oh, you walk past a statue. Every time that you hang out and have a picnic in the cemetery, you're going to look at those statues. Every time that you look at a shadow, whatever it is, or graffiti. This every is time like, you breathe, every time you blink, every time it snows. That's right. And this is time, like, every time you wipe your ass, you're going <laughs> to... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. This is Chibas trying to do a moth. <laughs> is that chilly? Or is it eating you out from the anus up? Burns on the way in, burns on the way out. <laughs> I am not satisfied with a lack of explanation there. Yes, that does leave a lot to be filled in by a forgiving, generous audience. They are known as the Remnants. Nice name, I like the name. It's a great name, but that kind of uh, insinuates that that's what's left of those scientists, of the people who lived there. Mm. Why do they know about the Timeless Child? Oh, we will never, ever be privy to that information. Yeah, that's a bit shit, isn't it? That would seem to indicate that either there's a connection between the Doctor and the Planet of Desolation. Yeah. In which, I mean, we know Chibbers loves a long game. That's right. (laughs) Well, apparently so. (laughs) Maybe they're arcing back there. <sighs> um, or the Stenza new, in which case, do you think the Stenza are coming back? Like in general? or I mean in the last special. I mean, we get through the Sea Devils and then Revenge of the Stenza. Oh, I mean, it would bookend it. Yeah. Uh, People love bookends. Yeah, everyone likes bookends. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe. 
Maybe. Would you like it? If okay, if <laughs> if they brought back the stanza, but this time the stanza have been entirely rewritten and they're like reimagined stanza. The the It's more than just one for a start. The, more than just one. It's a whole people. Uh they're they're stuck on a planet genetically predisposed to losing their teeth at age four. Oh, uh, and they're on a planet Stanza. where there's nothing to eat but muesli. They're like, oh, <laughs> we've got to choose something. We're gonna we're gonna bite down on something, but we have no molars. And they go, what are we gonna do? And this is why they do their thing. Yeah, they're just misunderstood. That's right. It was their genes. That's right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, how many episodes do we have left now? Two We've episodes. got the Sea Devils and then Jody goes. Wait, is that it? Yes. Two more episodes? Yeah. Oh, shit, bananas. Mm. Oh, sweet Christmas. We've got the Sea Devils and then Graham comes back. Oh, sweet buttery says, Moses. What are we doing on Desolation again? Uh, <sighs> <yikes>. Yeah, no. <laughs> Who's this Scouser? Don't take us to Desolation. It's You're right, it's going to be some sort of um, return. I mean, the only other thing is... Oh, we very recently had Daleks. It's not It's not going to be Daleks again, is it? We just had Daleks. Every time I think, this time it won't be Daleks, it's Daleks. But we, ju- we just had Daleks. Yeah. The New Year's thing was Daleks. Sure. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Daleks. Could be Cybers. Maybe it's going to be, uh, what's his name, the lone Cyberman and all that jazz. And the Master yeah. turns out to be behind Wait, time. it's going to be the Master. The master it's going to be up the- as time. Yeah. I'm going to be wrong. It's going to be fucking stuns on nonsense. <laughs> it's going to finish like five minutes before you think it finishes and only because Chibbers himself is going to walk center stage, address the camera directly and say like, all this was because I know that there are kids watching and I want to highlight how important it is that you brush your teeth. And it's going to be, <laughs> oh, no. Well, let's see. Uh, open mind and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted just to mention the coldest possible open in oh, the depths yeah. of space. We've talked yes. about ice planets and what have you and Capaldi at the South True. Pole. But this is three degrees above absolute zero. Yeah. Yeah. How do you like it? Not much. Okay. Even Tim Shaw should be shivering in these temperatures. And you have, I think it's a close-up of Ryan's eye. Yeah, and they're moist. Oh, it's moist. There's, yeah, I expected... It's not frozen, it's not no, like... it should be... It's little um, tracks of frost should be creeping their way across so it. It should crystallise yeah. as we watch it, yeah. This is what presumably was happening to Bill, um, or the Doctor. The Doctor went blind with a little bit of exposure to that's space. That's right, yeah, that's last right. Series. This is yeah. exactly what happened. Or, at the very least... A little bit of total recall bulging of the I old mean, what, eyeballs. Or, I mean, give me a little bit of event horizon. People are just like, th- their bodies can't really cope with the pressure change in space. Never mind the temperature. Like, they should be bleeding from everywhere. Yeah. But it, it, I mean, aside well, from that, that... That should be why they're in the medipods. But presumably right? that is why they're in the medipods. Well, yeah, but we don't get to see uh, any visible sign of distress even. Family show, dude. Family show. They don't have to Rick and Morty explode into arcs of blood or anything, but I thought a little bit of a nod to yeah. some mortal peril. Yeah, I, I, no, maybe just a line, like no human being was ever designed to dis- to survive in space. Like at all, never mind 30 seconds or something. I absolutely see what you're saying. And how do you feel about the, their deliverance? I think there's potentially a nod to Douglas Adams in there. The infinite improbability drive oh i uh wait is there a line that refers to that or is no there, but that's in how... hitchhikers there's the yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean but like, it, I, what i was gonna say was they've just arrived in space a spaceship has just arrived right next to them scooped them up right and graham's first words to ryan i think his first words are don't panic oh how did i miss 
So I wonder if maybe this the, that whole sequence is just a bit of a nod to Douglas Adams. But in in general, yeah, it's too coincidental. I don't like I don't like coincidence to that degree. But I'm prepared to forgive them for being able to survive in space for a few seconds because we, quite frankly, we've had a worse. In Classic Who in particular, there have been worse scenes of people just like stuck in space and flying around a little bit. Oh, fuck <laughs> it. Is it cold? I don't know. Can you breathe? Probably. You know, it's, <laughs> it's okay. If I breathe out and then in again very quickly, I'll catch the same breath. <laughs> oh my Pull God. it back in. Because <laughs> that's how oxygen transfer works. Well, I think the best way to look at it is as a potential nod to Douglas Adams. Mm. And even before the don't panic thing, which, how did I miss that? I have no idea. That is how I, I wanted wrong, to, to frame it and to cast it as, oh, isn't this a nice little wink? And it, there is there is some justification for it. They have all converged on where they think a planet should be, but for some reason isn't. Is not, yeah. yeah. That, it's the exact same part of the planet's orbit and the same time is still a massive coincidence but in, in one respect they are brought together by their common misinformation yeah exactly okay okay all right chibbers <laughs> give you that one not all but a lot is forgiven <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the tardis we've got a new tardis yep. Uh, both the exterior effect, the the materialization and dematerialization effect at the end of the TARDIS, and we get the new TARDIS interior. Mm-hmm. Oh, so those are different effects to what we have seen in Doctor Who today. I think so. Yeah, I think the way that the TARDIS materializes and dematerializes is new, and it is stunning. Nice, like absolutely stunsville. Gorgeous effect. I don't know what they've done. They've added some uh, an additional element of fading in that we haven't seen before and it's just wow so effective well done Hmm. yeah interior (laughs) turns out it's what's on the outside that counts because what's on the inside holy smokes makes me want to gouge my eyes out i hate the inside of this tardis well i wondered if the negative reaction I remembered adhering so strongly to this episode yeah. was because in the last minute and a half, yeah. we got such a jaw-dropping shock and disappointment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that the honey monster's claws bursting out of the floor around the console. Like, Oof, maloof. Yeah. There are bits of it. There are bits of it that I like. Like, like what? Some of the hexagon styling. Yeah, that's quite nice. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the way... I, I don't really know what shape the TARDIS is in this configuration. And I don't think it's in a way that hints at potential vastness either. I think No, it's there's just, no room outside of that room, in yeah, a sense. It's just the cameras don't point in a particular direction because this is how they built the set. Yeah. Rather than you've got those sweeping panoramic visuals of Capaldi's and you're like, oh, from here, from the central hub, we could go anywhere. And this is yeah. a lot more confusing. Agreed. Yeah, totally agree. It's it's way more claustrophobic than the other, than the previous TARDIS is. It's much more limited. It's, it's like more low tech as well. It doesn't feel like a spaceship. It just feels like a magic cave. Mm, yeah. You know, I want to go into a spaceship. I want to go into a space and time traveling vessel. Yeah. And if it's going to be sort of brassy and yellow, then steampunk the hell out of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <sighs> Mm. I think Yaz is wow says it all <laughs> yeah well done Yaz actually vindicated vindicated <laughs> 
I mean, soundbite that if you can pick it up out of the background audio, it's very difficult to pinpoint. This is my TARDIS. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've dropped a market. Let's see if I can do it. <laughs> oh, I see you've got some stairs. I guess we'll we'll spend the entire rest of the season and the next season after this on those stairs. <laughs> yeah. Just be great if it's not a ladder, Ryan. <laughs> That have been a twist. Because the TARDIS didn't like Amy Pond. Imagine if everywhere, you walk in through the, the policeman's doors at the beginning and you're just faced with a ladder and the, the control room, console room, is 20 feet up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, welcome to your quarters. We only have bunk beds, but for some reason we didn't generate any bed parts of those bunk beds. <laughs> all yeah, it is is floor, staircase, nothing. <laughs> underneath is all storage. Like 20, 30 feet of it. Just keep climbing. That's right. Get out of here, Ryan. <laughs> I had a, another rewrite. Uh, oh, oh yes, of course. Let's hear it. It's quite a long rewrite, but it's to get around what for me is the most disappointing thing of the whole episode. Oh. Even, even more so than the TARDIS redecoration, which was an aesthetic choice and some people will like it and some people won't. But this that I'm about to come on to, I fail to see how anyone can be for it. Oh, here we go. It's where the Doctor is walking up the hill to where the Ghost Monument should be. And by the way, on this planet that's devoid of all life forms and civilization, there is abundant foliage in the background. There yeah. are multiple plants. Did yeah. you notice that? I, I, I did think about when they like that there's no life on this planet, my thought was like, yeah, but wait, hang on. Don't you need someone to pollinate? Like you have flowers and stuff, but what? You don't have bees? You don't have birds? You don't have... It's not just plants doing this on their own. It's a whole ecosystem. Everyone works together. Yeah. Yeah. And the way they call it desolation. Okay, maybe I misinterpreted slightly in thinking, oh, there's nothing here. But there's, there's gorse bushes everywhere. It's just, there's no civilization left. That's the only thing, yeah. Yeah, disappointing. That's, anyway, that's a side point. My point is... The Doctor has been told, and I made a note of this, the Doctor has been told that the Ghost Monument only appears once every thousand rotations. She is not told that we are on rotation 999. Oh, good point, yeah. At any point in the episode, does it say, you've got to get to this point and the Ghost Monument will be there? Yeah, true. And yet she's walking up the hill and she's like, oh, why did we come? Oh, it's not here. (laughs) And... That she doesn't understand this is a naked contrivance. Yeah, that's true. That's such a good point. I didn't consider that at all. There was another part of that scene that really bothered me. And But now that you've said that, that kind of trumps everything that I considered there. Um, I was going to say, I didn't like that up until that point, the companions have all been like, fuck, we can't wait to get out of this place. We we hate it here. We don't understand anything about this. And it doesn't matter if we have each other because all we know is home and that's all we want. Yeah, and Ryan and, then and Graham the, are practically at each other's throats. Exactly. And then at the end, f- for no reason, everyone does a sea change. Like, Doc goes, oh, I give up. I, I don't know what this is, and I don't understand it, and we've lost, and that's it. It's too late. We're all going to die. And everyone else, and I think this is Yaz in the lead, this is the other thing that I omitted, yeah. uh, is just like, it's fine. We got each other. Uh, that's all we need. Hey, don't give up. We can we can power through this. 
No, screw you. Absolutely not. That's entirely uncharacteristic of you. Yeah. I understand that Graham might try his best to be chipper in that situation. He has been doing that. But I can't really get past the Doctor just despairing. Yeah. This is our second hour with Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. We are still learning her character and the beats that and the traits that she will carry through. And to have this pushed to the forefront, oh, it gets a bit difficult and she just gives up and she loses all hope. It's nauseating. It's a real pity. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was very invested in her being a strong female Doctor. And this is a moment of, of serious weakness. Yeah. And I'm just really Out of surprised. nowhere. Out yeah, of nowhere. I'm really surprised they went in that direction. And it's all, not only weakness, but it's stupidity. Because they haven't established when it's coming. And then that they just wait around for like four or five minutes and then it appears. And it's like, well, that's, that's a reverse. Well, that, that, <laughs> that's like, incredibly convenient. Like the, yeah. the fact that you didn't have to wait a week or something for it to arrive rather than a thousand years is, is incredible. <laughs> but yeah. the fact that it arrived exactly as you got there, like just minutes later, that's, you, you should be so happy about how g- great your timing is. <laughs> yeah. There's a one in a thousand chance that you survive at all yeah. because you have one day left. But apparently. it's not, yeah, it's not just one day. Like, it, well, yeah, it's five minutes. So that's a thousand multiplied by however five, many five minutes periods there are in a day. It's astronomical. What is it? Hang on. The TARDIS appears every 1,000 cycles. Yep. But one cycle is so much longer than, let's say, a day, for example, as we know it. She says very clearly, we won't survive one cycle. Yeah. One yeah. cycle might be like a month, as far as we're aware. <laughs> we have no idea. This planet has you know? to get around three suns. Exactly. And, <laughs> and uh, apparently the only water there is to drink is full of flesh-eating bacteria. Yeah. Yeah, let's not get back into that because that makes no sense. By the way, people of Podcast Land, like I don't think that either one of us is giving this a zero. <laughs> like, no. like it's not a bad episode as such. It's just perhaps a bit more interesting to talk about the bad stuff. Yeah. Um I, I was an, it was annoyed that in that moment she didn't show any resourcefulness or wherewithal yeah. as well. Like she just entirely gave in to despair. And that is just so the family can finally knit together. Yeah. A million percent agree. In your opinion, what if they reverse the roles? Because her actions are much more, in my mind anyway, they're much more characteristic of the actions of a fresh companion who has never been on an alien world before. And the actions of, for example, Yaz are almost verbatim those of the doctors trying Mm. to comfort someone who is in a completely new situation. So what if we reverse them? What if Yaz and Ryan go, oh no, we're going to die here. This is terrible. Oh, Ryan goes, oh, I'm so sorry that I dilly-dallied at that ladder. And Yaz goes, oh my goodness, I can't (laughs) believe that I dilly-dallied in that situation. We we would have got here six hours ago if I hadn't asked pointless repetitive questions. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then and, Doc and, goes, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. We've got each other. That's all we need. Fam. Yes. All we need is fam. And then out of nowhere, the TARDIS material is like, what are the odds? Maybe point that out as well. What are the odds? Yeah. And all the way through the episode, Yaz has been pointlessly saying, are you sure you can get us home? Yeah. When the doctor's like, I'm sure I can get you home. Are you sure you can get us home? And Ryan, Yes, Yaz, that's what I just said. <laughs> and Ryan is openly questioning, like, do you think you can get us off this planet or what? And... <laughs> And this is the point where where she's like, see, I've I've got you through the worst of it. And now the whole universe opens up and she can have a nice 
expansive monologue about how great it's going to be traveling rather than what she did say, which I've said this to you offline. Um, I thought maybe you didn't believe me that I'd get you home. And then Yaz, I thought you didn't believe yourself for a second back there. <laughs> and, oh, repetition, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Who? Me? No, never doubted. Well, we know that the doctor lies. Yeah. That's exactly what she's doing here. Yeah. Why? I mean, they're setting up that she's going to withhold from them and not be fully open at the same time as the family is coming together. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess those two things can coexist and run along parallel in parallel tracks, but it's so confused and so back to front and weird. I, ju- I just don't buy the scene at all. No, I, I agree. I so, totally agree. So my rewrite, it's a bit circuitous, which is something Leon will be <laughs> fully au fait with after <laughs> 159 Pages of strange readings. But, okay, the Medipods put the translators in, right? And then everything happens until the point where they're abandoned on the planet. The TARDIS doesn't show up, but Doc doesn't give up. She's resourceful. She's like, things made cruel can be made kind again. I'm not giving up on this place just because Tim Shaw and the Stenzer have ravaged it. And she keeps them alive somehow. Like, they, they go full Martian. And she manages to extract some of the water and make it drinkable. And yet her pockets are empty, so they are all starving. What I wouldn't give for a custard cream right now, she says. And they're dying. Their life force is fading so far that the Metapod implants, they start to lose power. And back come the remnants, sensing their weakness. They start to talk, but the fam can't understand. The remnants are only speaking to the doctor. And they're all lying on the ground. What are they saying? They're asking her. She won't tell them. Something in her look has them wondering why. And then before the TARDIS appears, they they start to catch a few words of what the remnants are saying. And they're like, wait a minute, it's, it's being translated again. Something about plate tectonics. And the doctor's like... Oh my God, how much did you write? The doctor's like, the TARDIS <laughs> translation circuit, quick. And they all they all run out and she's like, right, it's going to come in the middle here because you can't hear over there. And they, they run into the TARDIS just as the remnants gather in enough numbers to kill them all. And the TARDIS appears... And they sprint in. But Ryan, he faints on his way in. He falls down on the sand outside. And then we get Graham waking him up for a third time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Only now there's a through line and it means something. I didn't quite get around to writing what it means. Only this time he's like, oh, are we still on that dreadful planet? Are we still on that boat? Are we in that weird police box? No, Ryan. We're back in Sheffield. She brought us back. We're no longer going to be on the show. There's just one companion going forward. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. You have written the perfect ending. Well done. Well retro yeah. rewritten. Thank, thanks, Grandad. End, End. Of scene. Or oh, arc achieved. <laughs> How about we try to rate this? Oh, let's. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. We've talked about the negatives of this episode, and yet I did find this an enjoyable enough linear chain of events on first viewing, but June this ain't. (laughs) And yet another episode set in a a dry environment that just I've got no love for. We've got clear desert air, vast alien vistas, the Doctor making headway with some desperados, but getting rebuffed by others. But what I find oddest about this episode that's about a rally across 12 galaxies is nobody is really on any kind of journey. The fam come to a place of putting their trust in Doc exactly when she lets them down. And okay, maybe that's what some families do, but they have blood uniting them thicker than water, thicker than anything we've seen between these characters on screen. 
And it all just seems to run counter to storytelling that makes any kind of sense. Ryan and Graham go nowhere because they are going to drag this out for as long as they possibly can and longer than they should. The Doctor descends into a trough of despond over absolutely nothing. Art Malik gets away. No consequences. No obvious motivation. Expo and Angstrom agree to a dead heat because of some nebulous mutual respect or obligation, but it doesn't mean that either has changed their diametrically opposed philosophies that they set out at length during the episode. Angstrom is doing this for her family. Expo, maybe, but why? And then they agree because reasons. And so in some people get to run around for a full tenth of this series, and next week maybe we'll do it properly, 2.2. <gasps> 2.2, you say? I say. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So I didn't say enough about the positives, and we, we talked about the funny lines. Yes, we and did. Some very enjoyable scenes, and the Doctor being Doctory when she was Doctory. And, I mean, Art oh, Malik is, is imperious and regal and everything, and, and we didn't actually talk about Sean Dooley or Susan Lynch, Expo and Angstrom. Yeah. They did all right. They acted. So, yeah. All right, 2.2. Wow, you've got a big heart. Oh, have I? <laughs> Relatively speaking. <laughs> I just want to point out, like, oh, I'm not going to go into the zeros here. As I said at the start, there are scenes in this episode in which Jodie Whittaker shines as the doc. That opening scene about the crashing spaceship, mm. certainly one of them. Mm. But it doesn't take long for me to start getting a vibe off her, as though she's speaking to children. We didn't talk about this during the episode, but I've mentioned it ad nauseum so often. She always sounds to me like she's speaking to children, both on screen and on the couch watching said screen. And there are bits where the delivery just doesn't work at all for me. The Pythagoras, what's it reference? We already talked about that. Just a number of scenes where the performance leaves the scrotum of oomph punctured and all the pizzazz decanted <laughs> into a storm drain. Perhaps I can blame the directing for, for those, though, but who knows. Overall, relaxed podcast land. I'm still on board for Whitaker at this point. As for the companions, I find Graham brilliant. Thank goodness he's the only companion because his rapport with Ryan is wedged into the crevices by some with ham fists and non-prescription glasses. And Ryan on his own is unbearable. And Yaz, sweet buttery Moses, who wrote this? Oh, Chibbers wrote this, really? Hmm, you don't say. Yaz is only there to repeat what other people have just said. Ask them to confirm what they've what they've just uh, stated or asking any questions to justify your presence in this episode. Already talked about that at length. It's such a shame, too, because this episode simply can't cope with there being three companions. There's not mm. enough meat to it. There's simply not enough for them to do. And the episode's barely 50 minutes long. I think I remember them all getting more to do in later series, uh, in later later on in the series, though. Oh, so uh, I, I don't know. I think this is quite oh characteristic. No. I, oh, no. I mean, them standing around while one person's... I said it was coming, I think, in our review of The Woman Who Fell to Earth. You I did, realize yes. I it was coming this quickly, this week. Well, next time we have Rosa, and I only remember being very, quite positively inclined to that episode, as in it, it being a very well-written, well-acted episode. I remember having certain opinions about the bad guy and expecting the bad guy to be one of these repeat big bads but we're not reviewing rosa but in general as i recall and potentially i'm now setting myself up for to be let back down as i recall all of these companions have more to do in rosa oh definitely rosa is one of the good ones but let's see where we are with arachnids and (laughs) suranga yeah i remember arachnids very well 
Uh, fine, not looking forward to that, looking forward to Rosa. Uh, Foes and Aliens, well, Outer Space Bedouin Elon Musk is not bad, actually. <laughs> uh, kind of liked him, but we learned nothing about his motivation or the background of the race. On the flip side, the sniper bots can eat me and the sentient toilet paper made no sense. Uh, plus points for production value and for it actually flying by as episodes go. This uh, I could rewatch it right now, probably, and would barely notice. Minus points for Ryan's <laughs> Call of Duty scene and the interior of the Todd is now looking like the inside of a scented candle. I have written down (laughs) (laughs) 2.1. And that's because I forgot about Ryan's Call of Duty moment (laughs) when I rated it. And also the doctor just finding a switch down in the basement, the sniper bot basement that she oh, uses yeah. for the EMP. Yeah. I'm going to press a button. I'm going to sonic this thing. Boom. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. And just before that, Expo goes walking up the steps and he doesn't see a laser beam etched across it. I know. This guy. How did this guy survive so long? Well, 208 planets to this point and and 11 other galaxies. And this is the caliber of the entrance of the potential victor. (laughs) Laughable. That's why I'm laughing. (laughs) (laughs) How about we have a listen to what podcast land thinks of this? Let's. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Writer Rooney and Cheesecakes Podcast Land. Holy smokeroonies. We have arrived at the listener mini section of this podcast episode, and we have not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven listener minis. <laughs> I think that was eight. <laughs> Carry the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's first? <laughs> Why? It's Tracy from America. Hello, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. <laughs> Tracy has a quick first thought. Has Yaz been dressed as Homestar Runner this entire time? Leon is looking at me in quizzically complete bewilderment. <laughs> yeah, who's Homestar Runner? Homestar Runner is a. I'm googling. Yeah, Google Homestar Runner. Oh, I have no idea what this is. What is this? It, it's a flash animation site that's run for like twenty years, and he presumably in the picture you have in front of you has a five pointed white star yes. on a red shirt. Yeah, it's fairly distinctive. Oh, does Yaz have a shirt like that? Yep, she's wearing that exact shirt throughout oh, this episode. Oh my goodness, I, I, yeah, I did not recall that. Okay, yeah, cool. I mean, it would be weird. Well, we've already talked about the level of coincidence in this episode, so yeah. maybe it is just a coincidence. Potentially. Well, Tracy continues. On the who is this Dr. Front, she likes to throw in a name drop. This ep, she references uh, Audrey Hepburn and Pythagoras. Next, I will skip to the end to talk about the new TARDIS. I don't mind the glowing beehive or the mighty stone hand the console sits in the palm of. I'm on the fence about the crystal spinning mini TARDIS. Oh, yeah. And I think the cookie dispenser is a nice touch, but I want a more appetizing cookie. (laughs) Shrug. To each her own. You can't beat a custard cream, Tracy. Custard creams are pretty great. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you suggest? A graham cracker? Get out of here. Uh, Wait, 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 wait. A chocolate hobnob. Milk chocolate hobnob. Tracy continues. Now let's talk for a minute about sexist writing. Overall, this doctor has been given far too many moments 
of confusion, silence, meekness, and defeat. Oh, thank you, Tracy, for saying so much more eloquently what I was well, trying to get out a few minutes ago. Well, we've been rambling on about for two hours. <laughs> now, Tracy isn't saying the Doctor as an entity cannot have a spectrum of moments from triumph to despair, but to have it swing so far, so often in the direction of lame and toothless is problematic for the first portrayal of the Doctor as a woman. Mm. This episode sees evil paper taunting her over things she doesn't know, says Tracy, whilst calling specific attention to her fear. Has any previous doctor been subjected to such without giving a resounding speech in response? Also, note the curious despondency when the TARDIS isn't where she expects to find it. Yes, we discussed that. With a day to come up with a rescue plan, it feels strange for her to give up. Doc 11 had minutes left in Let's Kill Hitler and still managed optimism. Yeah, fully agree. And Tracy gives this a rating of, oh wait, did I review the story at all? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one, Tracy. Thank you very much. Excellent mini. People who are not Tracy can high five Tracy online and tell her as much. Uh, Share your opinion of her mini at Yekatnyatnuf. That's Fountain Tracy backwards almost. (laughs) Perfectly in sync. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thanks, Tracy. Who's next? Why, next up, it's Daniel McGinley. What up, Daniel? <laughs> what didn't we promise? Was it Daniel? We, we promised a jingle. Hang on. I said, Daniel, Daniel McGinley, Daniel McGinley, Daniel McGinley. Damn it. <laughs> to quote Yaz. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Hang on. We can do better. Right now? <laughs> Absolutely right now, Dagnabbit. <laughs> okay. Absolutely next time, Dagnabbit. <laughs> Daniel starts with what, dude? Welcome to Doctor Who Does Tomb Raider. (laughs) Or as it's commonly known, The Ghost Monument. Mm -mm. The episode opens with new titles which are just about passable, says Daniel McGinley. The theme would be so much better without a four-year-old child wildly smashing out the bass line on a snare drum. (laughs) Note to self, must try not to compare everything with the brilliance of the Capaldi era. Oh, wait, that's the point of a review. (laughs) Once again, Graham shows all the personality, and the rest of the fam are fleshed out by dull conversations in an attempt to give them character. Compared to the energy of Rose, or Donna, (laughs) yes, Leon, (laughs) in brackets. Uh, What's your point, Dan? Ryan and Yaz are lethargic and flat. Apart from Ryan's ridiculous sugar rush-induced Call of Duty moment, he flips between paralysed with fear or extreme confidence. Consistency, please. Despite shoehorning in emotional backstories, I didn't care who won the rally, and the joint winner was Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. At no point... I mean, obviously, you're supposed to root against sociopathic loner and for angstrom but i just didn't yeah did you it's a very good point that daniel's brought up here Uh, i'm not sure i think the reason is the thing that we discussed before the fact that we never get to know smokey's background we'd never get any context for him whom is he playing for she's playing to save her family yeah and that's presumably why you're saying we should be rooting for her, because she's doing this for altruistic reasons. Well, that and she's just much nicer to be around. Yeah, but you don't know. No, none of us knows. Maybe he also is doing this to save 
countless people. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Ilin has said, you're going to win enough money to save your entire clan, quote. Yep. Yep, yep. Yeah. So maybe he is doing this for other people. It's just that he's an asshole about it. So maybe maybe he is also a good guy. How can we possibly judge either? Ugh, anyway, yeah. Blur. Yeah, Daniel said it very well. <laughs> and Daniel continues, we have the first mention of the timeless child. Ooh, what could it mean? Hopefully it's a super rewarding series arc like Bad Wolf or Torchwood that the fans are going to love when it's finally revealed. Heart eyes emoji. <laughs> Daniel continues, talking paper monsters. Maybe I was a bit harsh on Tim Shaw last time. <laughs> An obscure geek reference. Is Art Malik in the tent a homage to his role in The Living Daylight? Ooh, maybe. Moralizing lecture count, one. Series total, two. <laughs> I assume that the moralizing lecture was delivered by Jody to Expo in the lab when she's talking about, go and have one of your heroic naps. I like oh, yeah. that line. That, was, that, that is a good line. But yeah. the rest of it was, yeah, um... I don't. I don't want to describe the first female doctor as a shrill nag, but it, it verged. Yeah, unfortunate. And whilst an improvement on the opener, this was just all right. The lovely moment with Doc outside the TARDIS bumps up by half a point for a total of two point four. Ooh, very good rating. Really, the lovely moment where the Doctor says, "Oh, I've missed you, my lovely ghost monument." <laughs> I, I was referring to the numerical value assigned to this episode, but yes. Okay. <laughs> Daniel McGinley has also, I, I'm, uh, Daniel, I'm really sorry. I don't know if I'm going to be able to include this on the website, but he's also, you know what, sorted. I will pop these on the website. Daniel has also included two screenshots of Art Malik, I believe, uh, well, one from this episode and one, I believe, from Living Daylights. I didn't fully appreciate how gorgeous that sofa is that he's sitting on in this episode. It's amazing. It, yeah. it, like serious, serious cushion work. Yeah. Yeah. Opulent. And I don't care for furnishings. Sumptuous. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Daniel, thank you very much. Excellent mini. Who's next? Why, next up, it's Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? What's up, Kieran? Kieran starts... Hi, folks. Ah, finally a title sequence. Dunno, I think for me the colours are off. I've seen someone recolour them in mainly green and do think that's a better colour for them. Or even red-orange, like how the Pertwee ones start off. Oh, interesting. As it is, it just doesn't look quite right. The music itself is fine enough, a bit moodier than some of the previous versions, not having a cold open feels strange for New Who now after so many years of having them. Oh, do we not get one next week? Because I thought this didn't have one just because it was plunging us straight back into the two-parter or resolving the cliffhanger of the first part. Meh. I, I don't remember next week. All right. Yeah. Anyway, Karen continues, a convenient rescue spoiling the cliffhanger reprise. And uh, hmm, this is a bit dull, isn't it? <laughs> The pair fighting to win the race, ending up realising that they only really have each other left. It feels a little played out. Oh. The Ryan versus Sniperbot scene is very cringe, well, to me at least. And to us. Yep. And good old acetylene. <laughs> um, sure, I use hydrogen most days in the lab, but fuck no for acetylene. <laughs> Well, at least it looks nice. The cinema. Well, I, I can't leave that scene behind without asking why aren't their eyebrows getting singed off? There's fire raging just a few inches from their faces. Yeah. And they're like, oh, that's this fine. Is, this is pretty. Because acetylene gas is lighter than air, Doc explains, and it's, or maybe Ryan explains this, and it's. Uh... Yeah, and that raging inferno wouldn't induce any sort of turbulence. Absolutely not. No, the bottom of that inflammable field is entirely level. That's right. Yep. Yep. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Kieran hasn't actually said that it wouldn't be, and he's the chemist, so I don't know, uh, it checks out. Yeah. Kieran continues, the cinematography is very nice, and the location filming is good as well. A reference to the timeless child? Well, I'm sure that's going to pay off well. <laughs> hmm, says Kieran, bit of a misstep after last time's opening story, but nothing really bad as such in it, though I won't be rushing back to watch it. Art Malik feels a little wasted, and Kieran gives this... 2.4 out of 5 strangling rags. Excellent, excellent rating, Kieran. Have you met Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> Huge hearts to both of you. Yeah, well done. Uh, people who are not Kieran, don't you worry about a thing, buddies, because uh, you can follow Kieran online. Get to know him. Learn what makes him tick. Kieran can be found where? At KJ Evans 2. That's right. <laughs> For all your Evan needs. Yep. <laughs> Two is the number of Evans that you should buy. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kieran. Excellent stuff. Who, who's next? Why next? Fourth up. Confusingly, it's Tan Six Fingers. <laughs> Hello, Tan Six Fingers. Sup, Tans. Tans starts greetings who back when fam. Aw. Aw. I found this week's episode of the Ghost Monument enjoyable, but with a number of issues. Chibnall really seems to have a lack of understanding of how science works, and it lowers my ability to suspend my disbelief and stay in the moment of the story. Some bullet points follow. First of all, everyone is allowed one life-saving or life-altering coincidence. That is why they are in the story to begin with. Beyond that, it stretches believability. Why didn't Graham notice there were three suns before they landed? I mean, that's a good point. They had plenty of time before the fireball came screaming out of the sky. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Wouldn't be the first thing he mentions. <laughs> <laughs> he was probably really busy inexplicably being in that gully that also equally inexplicably the spaceship crashes right into. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> yet somehow they are tumbling down the outside of the gully despite yep. being all on the ground trying to pick Ryan up as the spaceship is on top of them. Oh yeah, there's that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any more bullet points? Yes, there is one. Chibnall doesn't understand scale. He seems to think galaxies are the size of a solar system. This oh. was part of a race across 12 galaxies. Galaxies are hundreds of thousands of light years across and millions of light years apart and contain billions of stars. It is almost as bad as last week's aliens having come past 5,000 galaxies to have a grudge match on Earth. I think that is a solid point, Tan Six Fingers, but I think that's very in keeping with classic who. Terry Nation... <laughs> <laughs> Terry Nationism numero uno, galaxy, solar system, space, all of that stuff, synonymous. <laughs> <laughs> also, nobody in these 12 galaxies with billions of stars wants to watch this. You can't find a single person to sell it to. That's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> Who is watching this on telly? I want to, oh, God, Dagnabbit. Why is there no audience? Because uh, then you'd have to play to it. Well, just have an anonymous audience in the background going, <laughs> you know, like, uh, amazing, we've got two. Oh, I'm betting on that guy. Oh, I'm betting on her. Oh, that's where the 3.2 trillion krill come. Yeah, the, the, the phone lines. Yeah. is. Uh, Do you know how much an intergalactic phone call costs? Is Elon Musk doing this, like, is he paying for the whole shebang? No. Is he doing this out of the goodness of his heart? No. Do we get to know that there's some sort of weird subclause where if and when you win this race, you have to pay for the next one? No. He's doing this because he's a businessman. He is giving them a shit ton of money after having won a shit ton of money and having made even greater, shittier amounts of it. 
in order to be able to afford this race. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dang, now it. Tan Six Fingers continues, even though he is supposed to be a mechanic or learning to be one, once again, Ryan shows absolutely no interest in trying to repair or even examine alien technology. Well, there is a slight yes. exception. Yeah, the boat. I was going to say at the end, oh. where he actually shows a bit of fascination with the TARDIS controls and the Doctor has to say, don't press any buttons. Oh, I see what you're getting at, but I want to urinate on that scene. Like, it... <laughs> That that makes no sense to me. If he knows about machines and stuff, and he's in a spaceship, and he knows that it's a time machine, he knows that this is all all of it is beyond his comprehension. Yeah. Why would his first reaction be? Can I press some buttons? Oh, I'm gonna press some buttons. No, obviously not. If anything, he would be look like he would say something along the lines of, "Can I look under the hood? Can I can I see what makes this work? What does make it work? How does this engine? What propels it? How you know? It, teach me about this technology. Yeah. Does it run on acetylene? Because if it doesn't. I am way out of my desk. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> That's the only lesson I stayed awake for. <laughs> I can't smell any garlic, so I guess, guess I'll just watch you do it. You were going to mention the boat. Yes, that's the one scene, I think, in the last episode, in the last review, sorry, that I brought up. I didn't remember that it was a boat. I remembered it being a spaceship. But that's the thing that I remembered him doing. Whereas, like, boom, arc complete. Oh, wait, we've just started his arc. What's he going to do for the rest of this? Beats me. But like that's the thing where he's set up as being a, a mechanic. Yeah. And at some point, he must repair an engine. But you would assume that that would happen closer to the end. Like, I that's think, what he brings to the table. I think there's a chance he does something mechanically minded in Suranga. Okay. That would be my guess. But this is not an engine. It's a battery. I always feel like the doctor is letting them figure it out for themselves because yeah. they call her in or she just happens to stumble in and it's like oh yeah try solar panels like the second she sees those she knows what's going on yeah she's just seeing if they've got a brain cell between them probably yeah hoping that one of them is parched might uh scoop up a, a handful of water <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> spit it out in the face of the other <laughs> What else does Tan Six Fingers say? Sorry, Tans. <laughs> there is some backstory or character development for all three companions, so we are on track to have well-rounded characters. Oh. I did like the CGI, but I was expecting the sunglasses the Doctor gave to Graham to be the Sonic ones from 12. Oh, nice. Uh, and Tans concludes, I was disappointed in the ending. I felt like this should have been part of part one of a two-parter or the setup for a season-long story arc. But sadly, spoilers... I know it is never referenced again. I give this a 2.6 out of 5. Very close to the, the other ratings we've had so far. Nice one, Dance. Mm, yeah. Very, very nice. I was disappointed in Graham not following up the Doctor giving him sunglasses by saying, and have you got any suntan lotion as well? There's three suns. I'm going to burn up. Have you got two more sunglasses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need three pairs. <laughs> <laughs> People who are not Tan Six Fingers can follow Tan Six Fingers on Twitter and Insta, respectively, at Tan's Six the Number Fingers and Tan's Six the Word Fingers, respectively. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tan Six Fingers, aka Ben O'Neill. Who's next? <laughs> Why, Leon, you know who it is. Just for who's next? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, very good. Hello, Just For Who. Hey everyone, it's Just For Who. They've written a review just for you. <laughs> Amazing. That is it. Well done. <laughs> Sorry, Daniel McGinley. Yours is harder to scan. 
we're going to give you a fantastic uh, jingle the next time. Yeah. Anyway, Just For Who says <laughs> oh, yeah, what? Just For Who. Just For Who says, hey, hey, huzzah! Now, not only do we have a title sequence this week, but a jingle in the works from my favourite Doctor Who podcast. I can now die a happy human. Oh my goodness, yes! I didn't even read that. Oh, I just did it. I'm so glad. <laughs> oh, oh, how disappointing would that have been to read? What The pressure. The pressure I would have had. Oh, crap, we're going to come up with a jingle right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent way to start a mini Just For Who. Uh, just For Who continues. Ah, oh, yes. So let's talk about what happened after the title sequence. You know, the episode. Firstly, the visuals were stunning. All caps. Almost make up for the toilet paper. Oh, toilet paper. Toilet paper yeah. baddie of the week. Nice. Here's my friend who agrees with me. Actually, they were pretty evil now that I think about it. Spoiling the whole plot of series 12 by taunting us and the doctor with how she doesn't know that she's the timeless child. Can you think of a worse baddie than someone who spoils things? The audacity. Don't worry, we'll forget. <laughs> I know I did. That's true. Also, this episode was pretty darn funny. Mm. Jodie has great comedic timing. Honestly, they all do. It was also nice to get more into the arc slash theme of family, exploring different family dynamics and the impact that has on self-identity. This is the second time this series we witness an example of cruel slash bad parenting. Oh, yes. Uh, Ryan's dad. Uh, Epzo's... Oh, Epzo. Epzo's story about his mother reminded me of Tiktoon and got me thinking about how many other things there are in series 11 that allude to future series. Oh, yeah. Like, for example, I was a hologram for three weeks. Laughs, <laughs> Chibnall. Make that three years, Doc. Talk about a new personal best. Best bit? Come to daddy. I mean, mummy. I mean, get you a time machine that makes you custard creams. Worst bit? Ryan's Call of Duty comment. I just know if Ryan was younger, that comment would have been about Fortnite. And oh. I don't think I could cope with that existing in the Doctor Who universe. Oh, that's an amazing comment. Well done. Mm. <laughs> What does Just For Who give this? Just For Who rates it 3.6 out of 5. Oh, oh, check out the big heart on Just For Who. Very well done. That's a 12 galaxy sized heart right there. (laughs) Thank you very much, Just For Who. Who's next? Next, it's Maxwell Rayner. Hello, Maxwell Rayner. Hey, Maxwell (laughs) Rayner. Done. Done. <laughs> Can't top that. Fantastic. Hello, Maxwell Rayner. Uh, Maxwell has... Uh, can I call you Max? Max has... <laughs> expecting the answer, yes. Max has been very kind to uh, include some stats for this. Original intended podcast release date, 13th of March. BBC Broadcasting date, 14th of October, 2018. Directed by Mark Tonderai. Written by Chris Chippers. Oh, and Max is back. A few things. Yes, you can call me Max. Yes, I hadn't read ahead, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) And I accept the title of King of Segways. Nice. And third, I loved being the last review, so if you could do that again, that would be great. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, says Max, the Ghost Monument was a straight letdown for me, specifically the title sequence and TARDIS interior, so top and tailing it. (laughs) The last episode was better with none of that, and no cold open, very sad. Splitting up the group was the best decision of the episode. If only they killed off Graham and Ryan in a spaceship, quote, accidents. Mm. Quote, boring, give yep. me less dialogue and more running. Also, useless tent dude. Ugh. And the reveal of the TARDIS being the ghost monument. Ugh. This episode feels way worse watching it the second time. Second, Ed. 
But what annoyed Max? What annoyed Max this time, Leon, as you well know, was all the bloody questions. And then finally running, hey! hey. And then the doc says, no guns, and my smile disappeared. But then we got Ryan and his stupidity and another chance at killing him. But nah. Nah. <laughs> I wish Clara was here. She would have just done a thing and saved the day. But Yaz is no equivalent. And something I hate to bring up is the overuse of the Sonic. Oh, yeah, that's true. We didn't talk about that. No. The Stens are part two, but flammable? That seems flawed. <laughs> and the first mention of the timeless child. <gasps> I give this episode a 2.6 out hey. of 5 ruined oh you've redecorated I don't like it lines <laughs> see you in N147 Rosa it better be better oh wow nice one Max hey uh, good rating have you met Tan Six Fingers <laughs> <laughs> oh fantastic I love this I, I, I love seeing two people give the same rating for very different reasons <laughs> <laughs> the only way that mini could be better is if it better be better didn't remind me of you pay the price or you pay the price i i'm 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 only quieting down here because i'm i, I can't remember if i liked it or disliked it at the time oh, really? it's cringy in retrospect i don't remember i may have semi semi enjoyed it that's a quarter boner for anyone uh, who's keeping count the hemi demi semi enjoyment okay <laughs> that's the one well regardless max excellent mini thank you very much thanks max who's next sorry max you weren't the last one who's next is andy parkinson what up andy Hi, <laughs> Andy says, hi, gang. Hello, Andy. Doctor Who goes full on Hunger Games here in Jodie's second outing. And Andy has been a spiffing chap and provided us with a list of likes and a list of first like. <laughs> the locations look amazing. It certainly beats the generic quarries of Who of old. I don't know. I miss me a quarry. <laughs> <laughs> Venusian Aikido is back. Oh, yeah. Didn't talk about that. Nice one. The girly screaming from Ryan when his Call of Duty moment goes wrong. Mm, okay. Do you practice those lines in the mirror? And the callback to you've redecorated. And that concludes Andy's likes. And here we are with the beefs. First beef. Water filled with flesh-eating microbes, but they never make a difference to the story. Also, if there's no living thing on the planet, what are they surviving on? That's so incredibly true. Why don't we just have someone stumble into the water? Like, why couldn't we have a bad guy who is in some way organic? Like, introduce another one of these myriad monsters who apparently live on the planet, and that monster trips and falls into the water. Yeah. Boom. Now we've established both that there are alien monsters and that the water is dangerous. Yeah, so dangerous that even the things that live there are prone to getting... Maybe the water isn't full of flesh-eating microbes at all. I mean, they walk on a beach. The beach is going to be wet, right? They they walk on the beach and no one melts into it. Maybe <laughs> Doc is just being an utter shit and going like, oh, you're thirsty? Well, you can't have any. <laughs> Not till we find the TARDIS. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, next. Boof. More killer robots that are awful shots. True. And Andy's next beef is Chekhov's cigar. Did anyone not see that coming? <laughs> it's in his notes. It's in my notes. <laughs> That's why we put it in the, the intro, Andy, because we had both independently written Chekhov's Althusian cigar. <laughs> All three of us, in fact. <laughs> uh, next beef. Uh, why does the TARDIS reappear on this planet? Some kind of explanation would be nice. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a... Wait, what the shit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
it heads off somewhere. Great. Why does it leave Earth and head 5,000 galaxies distant? Nope. No, no idea. Okay. The Doctor deciphers the huge writing on the floor. What kind of alien overlords allow their captives to leave massive clues all over the place? And how much better would it have been not to have the huge TARDIS spoiler in the tent and instead have it revealed at the end? Yes, such a good point. Excellent retro rewrite. Yeah, because the Doctor assumes that it, the Ghost Monument must be the TARDIS and then is surprised that it isn't there because the Ghost Monument flickering in and out hasn't been explained. Yeah. She's just been like, this is what it has to be all the way along. This is our one chance. And she's telling the fan, but she's not quite sure. And she's fronting up. Oh my goodness, Andy. Yeah, that, that's that's absolutely fantastic. Forget my retro rewrite. Andy, where, where were you when they were penning this episode? Episode. Uh, right. Andy continues, companion watch. The old saying of three's a crowd is very evident here. Graham certainly shines. Ryan is still in full sulky teenager mode, but sadly Yaz is reduced to the what is it, Doctor? Roll. Yeah, true. Overall, concludes Andy, the cast do a pretty good job, although Art Malik is criminally underused. Yeah. However, even they can't save this story from the obvious plot points, and Chibnall's less than stellar writing, something that will plague Jodie's era. Stunningly directed, and great location work helps salvage it somewhat, and I award this story 2.9 flesh-eating microbes out of 5. <laughs> Fantastic mini Andy. Excellent, excellent stuff. Thank you very, very much. People who are not Andy Parkinson can definitely, must, ought, absolutely are obliged, morally so, to go up onto the interwebs and high-five him online at... Caffrey's 71. That's 71. Actually, you think microbes? Caffrey's, of course. (laughs) Thank you very much, Andy. It behooves us all. Bing bong, we actually ended up getting an eighth mini review for this one. This one comes from GP Haynes. GP! Hello. Uh, Hello again, says GP. I thought I'd venture into New Who with my latest review. Welcome aboard, GP. I quite like this follow-up to Jodie Whittaker's strong debut episode. Production, costumes, and support cast were all top-notch, and it was genuinely hilarious when the competitors tried to explain the different currencies to the doc. Yes, agreed. Fun scene. Uh, The plot was interesting up until the bandage-slash-cloth aliens, which for me was probably the weak part of the story. Yes, one of many, I think. Uh, I agree with you. Who are they? Where are they from? What do they eat? Are they leftovers from the charity op shop? (laughs) This was not adequately explained, says JP. The good points, he lists. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Rescue at the start. Yes, agreed. We talked about that. Art Malik was great, but Sean Dooley for me was just so obnoxious and great in his part as the male competitor. I loved the story he told of his mum. The planet scenes were well filmed and the robot guards were super cool. Were they though? Were they really GP? Fine. Uh, each to their own. And last good point, loved the scene when the TARDIS reappeared. Yes, agree. That was a gorgeous, stunning effect. The bad point, says GP. Those robot guards can't shoot for shit. Don't get me started on Ryan's Call of Duty moment. Venusian Aikido. Um, no, Jodie is no Pertwee. You want to see moves and noise? Can't go past the third dock. I enjoyed this a lot, says GP, but Chibnall needs to work on his plots, which are often too disjointed. 3.6 unfinished plot points from GP Haynes in Australia. Thank you very much, GP. Very generous, uh, big-hearted rating there from you. Excellent, excellent stuff. Thank you. All right, back to the show. 
Bing bong. And that concludes the listener mini section of this podcast episode. Thank you everyone who sent something in and thank you everyone who's been listening. But this is not all of Doctor Who. There is plenty left to go. What's coming up next? Oh, next up we probably have a classic Who review. Uh, what's that going to be of? Planets of Fire? That sounds freaking crazy exciting. Wow. I believe that is the penultimate episode of Peter Davison's era. Oh my god. That's right. Yeah, that's crazy bananas. That, like the last episode the last full episode that he's in without regenerating. Mm-hmm. That's insane bananas. The last episode he has to himself. That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, yikes caramba. After which we're back in New Who territory with Rosa, which, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, solid writing, as, uh, as I recall. At some point, an audio Who review? Of The Gathering. That's right. Finally, we can complete that trilogy of sorts. Yeah. Yeah, we should do that sometime soon. And indulge ourselves with a little bit more Peter Davison. Oh, that's right. Which leads us on to the bonus that will be coming up next. Namely, the Fifth Doctor retrospective. Farewell, Peter Davison. Davison. Uh, Slash long live Peter Davison. That's exactly what I, where I was going for. Uh, yeah, that's right. With so little Fifth Doctor material left to review, TV Fifth Doctor material, that is, yeah, time to have a fond look back. In the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter. Drew, you're available at... Drew back when? That's excellent branding. Thanks. Well done. I really should log on sometime and make sure nobody's using it in my stead. Uh, you can say hi to me as well. I'm at Ponkin, P-O-N-K-N. High five me online and I will high five you right back. Those are excellent letters. <laughs> Thank you. I don't understand why they're together in that configuration, but... No one does. Mm. Yeah. And though she wasn't in this episode, people should absolutely high-five Marie online as well. Not on Twitter. Don't think she's there, but go to Instagram and uh, say hi to her at ham, mash, and jelly. Well, those, those are three of my favourite things. things. <laughs> hope you feel better Marie Uh, thanks everyone for listening you've been excellent a wonderful audience as always rock on be around next to each other ciao ciao bye bye kablamo did you enjoy the show then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when tell your friends I've got no friends no problemo tell some strangers hey like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when? Okay, the cheat. Let's do that secret thing we do when we're alone that nobody else knows about. Load up the next episode of Who Back When? <laughs> Ah, oh, Doctor Who, Doc Past. Sorry, big guy. That's not a word. It's a podcast. Oh, hey, Strong Bad. What you listening to? Uh, Homestar, as if you ever listen. Because I know an awesome podcast. That's not what. Presented by two super awesome hosts. For the last time, we're not listening to you and Pom Pom review Bob's concessions. Buy one and review it for free. Oh, hey, I have a podcast, too. Reviewing the latest Sick Jams. I'll also throw in a jar of Sick Jams. 
I like listening to jam, but only the sound it makes when I'm eating it. Wow! My sonic swizzle stick ran out of sherbet. Guys, it's who back when time. No, don't listen to who back when. These guys are terrible. They didn't read out my entire 4,000-word listener mini on air. Mari is secretly on Twitter. Okay, everybody, shut up. Now we're going to listen to the official Doctor Who podcast instead. Duh. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, ha, ha.